the holiness of God. Uh, as you know, we've been studying the attributes of God, and we've touched on this one before, but there's some some uh, biblical content that I want to bring your way. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, as you're turning there, just, um, I don't always like to go into the Hebrew and Greek words. I don't really know them all that well. So, But uh, I think there's something important here about these words. Hebrew is kadosh. It's a Q-O-D-E-S-H, or some spell it with a K. Uh, it means apartness or set-apartness, separateness or sacredness. Sacred is, is, is the same thing we're just saying. It's the kadosh. It's the setting apart uh, of something. It's, it's an otherness, uh, an aboveness, a transcendence. Uh, it is not only other, but, is, but, it is, uh, but it's something that's not common. Um, there, there are things that can be rare uh, and not be kadosh or holy. Uh, in the Old Testament, they talked about birds that were clean or unclean. You could have a, a very rare bird and it had to be an unclean bird and it would not be considered a holy bird. Uh, and, and so it's not just the matter of it being rare, uh, but that is, is a part of it, but, but unique, specifically um, uh, unlike other things uh, around it. Uh, so, so we see when we talk about God's holiness, that, that God is sacred, God is unique, uh, God is the greatest in value due to the rare utterly rareness of his being. Uh, there is there is nothing in of all existence that is as rare as God himself. Every other being is dependent. Uh, you and I have many things that we need. Uh, we need the air that we're breathing right now or we would die. We would need the blood running through our veins. We need food and water to drink. We need security we need, uh, Paul said, uh, ha having food and raiment, food and clothes, I'm content. Uh, those are the, those were his basic needs. So we have uh, basic needs. It's interesting, though, that God has none of those needs. That makes him so rare. He doesn't need air to breathe. He doesn't need uh, blood running through his veins. <clears throat> he is utterly unique from any other existence. So even things that seem... Um, minor, like a, a blade of grass, needs sunlight, it needs water, it needs the dirt for the earth. Everything God created, he created it uh, to exist in the sense of having some form of need, gravity to keep it in place. Uh, so, 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 but God himself is, is not like that. He has none of those needs. That makes him the most unique, separate, distinct, uh, sacred, honorable, um, being that there possibly could be. Um, the, in the Greek, it's hagios, and that means a distinction or a claim to reverence. <clears throat> I like both those definitions because uh, a distinction could be something different, <clears throat> but but there are there are certain things that are distinct that aren't that, that don't have a claim to refer, re reverence. Satan himself, Lucifer, who fell from heaven, is distinct in that <clears throat> he is the only angel who fell and led the other angels in a fall, the leader <clears throat> the leader of a fall from heaven. That might make him distinct, but it doesn't give him a claim to, <clears throat> to reverence. And so it's the combination of these two things, a distinctiveness, otherness that <clears throat> is unlike any other uh, in all of existence, and a claim to reverence. The word holy itself is used in very strange ways in, in, in scriptures. Uh, holy ground, we're going to read that in just a moment here in Exodus chapter 3. There are holy places uh, in the Old Testament, they're speaking of there's holy bread, holy food, uh, holy utensils. Isn't that strange? Uh, I doubt any of you have a holy fork in your uh, utensil drawer. 
But yet in the Old Testament, there were holy utensils inside the temple. Uh, the temple itself was considered a holy place. And then inside that holy place was a holy of holies, a, a kadosh of a kadosh, uh, in, uh, and more, it's even more set apart than the previous part. And then um, the, the, the Sabbath day, when, when God rested himself, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the seventh day, I'm going to rest, and I'm going to make that holy. Uh, he set that apart. It's, it was a choice that he made. <clears throat> it's not as if the seventh day has more Christian vibe to it, you know, or it just happens to be a day where people feel like worshiping more. No, it's just because God determined it. He said, I'm going to make this day different than other days, uh, and so keep it holy. Uh, so he'll make it in interesting that God says this by a little sidebar here. God says uh, he'll make something holy, and then he asks us to keep it holy. And what he means by that is alignment with his willing, his will to make something distinct, to set it apart, to make it unique, and make it worthy of reverence. And so God has all these <clears throat> senses of holiness. So, so holiness at its core is a distinctiveness, an otherness, a set-apartness, a separation which is strange because most of us don't really see it that way. When you hear the word holy, are, are you not more like me and tend to think of it as, as moral behavior, uh, tend to think of it more as right conduct, uh, that, that God is asking us to behave in a certain way. And if we behave in that way, then we are acting holy. And if we are not behaving that way, we're acting in an unholy manner. Well, the question comes to mind then, were the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day holy? because of their right conduct or their moral behavior, which was quite uh, a, a strong biblical um, following of, of the law. Uh, uh, Paul himself said you know, he kept the law above all those uh, that, that pursued the law, and yet I don't think he would consider himself set apart, holy, uh, uh, distinctive from the world around him. I think he would not call himself holy. So it's more than right conduct. Um, it's it's it, it, it goes much deeper than that. God Himself. Well, let's read. Let's go ahead and read uh, Exodus chapter thirty-three. Excuse me, Exodus chapter three, um, <clears throat> verse four. And you remember Moses had been in the wilderness, or not the wilderness, but but yeah, out, out in the desert, uh, having run from Pharaoh and Egypt. And this is before God called him. And so in verse four it says, when the Lord saw that he turned, uh, when he, when the Lord saw that he, speaking of Moses, turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, verse five. Then he said, do not come near, take, the, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard the cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. Um, <clears throat> a little bit off subject here, but just as I was reading this this past couple of weeks, I noticed a, a trend and a common occurrence in scripture that when when God presents himself as holy, it's a precursor to something dynamic he's about to do. When he reveals the greatness of God and his holy splendor, he's about to reveal the great deliverance of God. So he delivers, he, he says, I've heard your cry and I'm about to deliver you. 
But before he does that, he establishes Moses on a place that he needs to stand. This has to be done on holy ground. This, this has to be done in a separate way. You were doing it in a common way before, the way the Egyptians did it. You were doing it in your own flesh. Now I'm going to set you on this holy ground. Take off your sandals and walk in this kadosh because this is the way that God works now. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 6 as well. Uh, he, he sees the Lord. He says, holy, holy, holy. And then God says, who, who can I send? It's, it's the idea of God saying, I'm about to do something great, but I need to have a, my people have a great experience with the holiness of God. If God is going to use you mightily, if you have that hunger in your heart to be uh, a, a voice to those in need, if you have a, a desire to help those who are hurting, the, this, the place of establishment with God is almost always on that place of holy ground where he sets you apart. So you're going to do this differently. You're not going to do it as the world does it. You're not going to do it with common utensils, with, with you know, in a common building, with common understanding, uh, with, with, with just your own human wisdom. You're going to do it through the Kadosh, through holy ground. Take off that which you rely on to get you where you're going, your shoes. That, that, that's your trajectory of your future. I'm going to get there because of this. And God says, take those off because now you're going to operate from a whole different operational system. God, in, in, even in the very creation, you see this kadosh, this separation, this God making a distinctiveness from one thing to another. Um, there is, first of all, and the Bible doesn't use these words, but we know that these things came into existence. There was the, 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 the separating of material from non-material. We, we, there was no, there was not a, there was not a, a material world until God made a material world. All before was non-material, and so there was a distinction. There was a separation, and and, and then there was a the non-temporal. Uh, God does not exist within time, boundaries of time, and He created time. So there's a separation. Something has time. Something's outside of time, space. There was no no uh, spatialness to things around, and God made these things. Uh, so material, the material world, the, the world of time, the world of space is, is God creating. And then he goes even further. He separates light from dark. He separates waters from the heavens. <clears throat> and then he takes those waters and he separates them, uh, making things even more distinct. And then he sep separates water from the land. And then on the land, he separates it where there's rivers and trees and mountains. Things are very distinct in the creation uh, separation. He says he creates vegetation. And in that vegetation, there are various kinds of vegetation, each one different than, than the other. There are seasons that he creates, four seasons, very distinct, one from each another. Then he says he created fish and birds, one in the water, one on the, in, the land, in, the, in the air. These, these things are different than one another. And that's, that's God making out of himself, his, his kadosh, things that were separated, his, his hand of distinctiveness, was shown in all. And then finally, and ultimately, probably the greatest difference, and all the husbands here could say amen to this, the greatest difference of all is God creating male and female. And, um, you know, we, we see the, the the vast difference in, in the in the genders and the sexes that we have. Things, things are distinct. Uh, and another distinction is everything that I just mentioned is distinct from himself. He's not in time. He's not in space. He's not made of material... Uh, atomic uh, items and energies he he's not light he's not water he's not uh, I mean God says he is light but but that's mean, mean, not in a material sense uh, uh, he's not vegetation 
he's he's separate from everything that he himself has created he's he created kadosh he created difference because that's who he is everything he created came out of who he is so if holiness is set apartness then the op or distinctiveness or difference then the opposite of holiness would be an unclarity in the lines of division or a compromise or a combining of things that don't belong together Many would call it a blurring of the lines, taking of one thing and putting it in the thing that is meant to be distinct other than and joining those two things together and causing it to be compromised. We see this in the church, Revelation chapter two and three, the problem that Jesus had as he uh, pronounced woes, so to speak, against the church uh, was those, those who had, you're doing this very well, but I have this against you because you're bringing Balaam in or the Nicolaitans in or Jezebel spirit into that and you're mixing that which is meant to be distinctively different than everything else and you're joining those two things uh, together. And that is called unholiness or unrighteousness or ungodliness, uh, combining the pure with the impure, the clean with the unclean, the holy with the profane. So God declares his uniqueness and he calls this holiness to be part of his creation, his created order. Uh, that And the evil forces, and I would say dead religion, uh, are, are constantly attempting to blur the lines of clear distinction. Oh, God didn't mean for you to really do that. Uh, Satan did that in the garden. God did, did God really say to you, he's trying to blur the lines of distinctiveness? No, that tree is set apart. That tree is not meant to be touched. And so, well, it's sort of okay to touch it a little bit. Um, God says he is holy. He's different. He's set apart. Uh, he's set apart from compromised culture. He's set apart from, from mixture. He's set apart from all impurities. We live in a generation that I believe as have become masters of blurring the lines. Uh, I believe we have we've come, we've come into a generation that that, that that has learned to take what is distinct and and make it common now uh, so the, and the cultural influences that we're living in it that that uh, holiness is is no longer what it meant to be even in the church we see a difference this is probably most clearly articulated in in, in these words that that they're going to seem strange when I first say them to you but but uh, so, some people call them some some uh, some writers and theologians and scholars call them call this world that I'm talking about twoism and oneism. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Twoism and oneism. Uh, twoism is everything I said is God is distinct from everything He created. Uh, he is other than, and He's meant to be reverenced because He is so other. He doesn't need things like we need things. Uh, he is the founder and the the fountainhead of all things that that we know. It is God and everything else. And God above everything, God over everything, God outside of everything, God distinct over everything. And that is twoism, God, that, that the reality is we are not God and God is not us. As, I, as you hear me say that, you can probably understand then what oneism is. God is us and we are God. Uh, I have in me a divine nature. It's not that God is transcendent and above and greater and other and distinct and holy it's that all of this is God. All of it. We all are a part of the divine nature. Uh, we are one and the same essence. Uh, 
the sky and the wind and the sand and the earth and my spirit and soul are all one. This is found in Buddhism. This is found in Hinduism. Uh, this is found in New Age teaching. This is found, if you ever listen to Oprah, uh, she is she is probably the primary American guru of oneism, uh, that that we are all one. She has guests on that she that are called Christians that she feels very safe with. Because in, in some form or fashion, they are teaching oneism. Uh, one man, his name is Richard Rohr. Uh, Richard Rohr writes on the Trinity, and I've read some of his works. They're very interesting, uh, dynamic writer. He's very poetic in his writing. But she, he was interviewed by Oprah, and, and he was saying there's a universal Christ. Christ is, is in everything, and he flo he's in the rivers, he's in the trees, he's in you, he's in me, he's in, he's in Oprah, he's... He's in, and so this is one. Everything is one. There's not two. When you make things distinct, this, this, this oneism teaches, if you start making things distinct, you're, you're fighting nature. You're, you're resisting. You're being phobic about. You're being fearful about things just flowing as, as creation or, or as existence uh, makes them to be. And so she'll have uh, Richard Rohr. She, has, she had Ron Bell. Uh, Rob Bell, excuse me, Rob Bell on, uh, who was at one time an evangelical pastor, and he moved from twoism to oneism that 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 God accepts everything and everybody in it, and universalism is part of oneism. Everybody's going to end up going to heaven because uh, we're all we're all one part of one cosmic fabric in reality. <clears throat> Without understanding the the the, the central core premise uh, of the pagan worldview, we're uh, we, we, we don't understand then what's happening in our culture. We just see them as uh, political events or uh, agendas that are taking place. But do you know what I, I would suggest to you that almost everything we're seeing that is unholy and ungodly in society today comes out of this school of thinking of oneism that, that uh, we're all one. <clears throat> so in politics, let's use that as an example. In politics, you've got the avocation for a one world government. Um, have no lines of boundaries or borders. Uh, let the United Nations take the lead in everything. Let's let's all, you know, years ago, if you're old enough, you remember the Coca-Cola campaign. Uh, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Uh, and the commercial was everybody was holding hands uh, and, and make the world one. Make the world make. So 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 that's that's the political arm of oneism. Is not that we serve God and we are we are created. Therefore, we need to honor God in our in in the way we make our decisions. Rather than that, they just say we're we're one and we don't have to listen to any other higher voices. <clears throat> um, science says this. Darwin's theory of evolution is is a scientific advocation of oneism. Uh, that there's no outside source of creation. There's there's no creator. Uh, there's only creation, and we created ourselves from a cosmic ooze, from stardust, maybe from some uh, primordial soup, and out of that we have morphed into this thing that we are now. And so we give thanks to no one but ourselves, and we are all part. So the so the 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 sludge of the earth, and you are of the same fabric, and therefore it's it's a scientific sense <clears throat> of oneism. All substance is of the same source. <clears throat> It gets a little more personal. It moves into sexuality, where where there's <clears throat> there's no sense of di distinctiveness. 
in sexuality, there, there's a oneness. So, so the biblical teaching on husbands and wives is no longer valid because you're, you're, there, there, there's no authority in a, in a household now. You're just, you are one. It's called egalitarianism. You are, you, you are equal, and there's no distinction in the sense of your creativeness and in the order of, of, God's, uh, of God's structure in the household and in the church. And so we see the breakdown in marriage now. And I believe that the, 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 the extremely high divorce rate, um, <clears throat> I think I heard something recently about 70% of uh, people now are divorced or are headed for a divorce. And I believe part of this is born out of oneism that <clears throat> that uh, we're meant to, to 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 blur the lines that God had placed in a godly order, and so men are abdicating their their <clears throat> their authority. I would say this is another issue of oneism that there is no authority anymore. Uh, <clears throat> there, the, you know, every everyone is uh, totally of the same the same ilk. So there there there's no distinction. <clears throat> so a policeman, for instance. Uh, not only has no authority, but it may be even lesser authority is 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 given lesser reverence uh, than than others around them. And so these are parts uh, uh, of that. Uh, homosexuality is 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 probably the most uh, clear picture of the moving away from uh, twoism to oneism, where uh, where there meant to be a distinction between God created them male and female. The Bible says. Uh, and now, now oneism says no. It's it's okay for two of the same uh, to be together, and and uh, so there's not there's not two. So so God created things distinct from Him, and then He created the things distinct within sexuality. And now we want to blur those lines and say there's no distinction between male and female. It goes even further into transgenderism, where there's a confusion as to whether you're male or female. There's eight year olds that are telling their parents now they they want to be a different gender and they don't there's there's very rarely now a conversation with them saying like well here's the way god made you you are distinct you are there's something beautiful about who you are and maybe you need to grow into that there's no conversation about that anymore now it's okay let's start the hormone therapy or let's start the operational situations that we need to do and so there's the, the fluidity uh it's it's i'm one person but i move back and forth between uh, these these various types of of things, uh, you see this even we see oneism is is the the god of the media. One, oneism, um, we we tell you what is truth, and and you better believe that truth, or either that or we'll cut you out of the media. You, all, all of this cancel culture you're seeing is part of oneism. There's there's one voice. It's the mainstream media, and you better toe the line uh, if 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 you. If you hold to a distinction in sexuality and in marriage, and in the husband and wife in a household, a father uh, having authority over his children, rather than a child just telling every, the parents what to do, uh, the the so the media tries to, uh, and this one by media I'm talking about social media, uh, the mainstream news media, movies, uh, theater. Uh, you could you could sit down with your children or your spouse or your friends and watch any movie today, and you're going to see threads of oneism. Uh, and, and a lot of the, our favorite movies, if you actually take the time to think about it, you're going to see in there this this moving away from distinctiveness of 
uh, you know, that that uh, avatar type thing, the, the the earth and the beings are all one. They're connected. They actually have to connect, um, you know, physically to to be to be one. So you see that uh, corporations and I could go on. I don't want to take too much more time, but corporations are are advocating oneism. Uh, they call it virtue signaling. They put their finger in the air. They see what what the world of oneism wants to hear and they bring their corporations to say what they want to say. Uh, education is is doing this, uh, teaching everything that I've just said about sexuality, about evolution. Uh, universities shutting down free speech because they don't want uh, there to be any voice other than. And you see the the voices that are considered now to be homophobic, uh, uh, genderphobic, uh, um, Islamophobic. Uh, these the, most of these voices are are Christian voices that say. Uh, because we're basically saying the Bible tells us that there is a distinction. It doesn't doesn't make Christians better than others, but it makes us different than others. There's a difference. And God, from from the first time he ever called his people, it was always be different, be set apart, come out from among them. If you remember when he called them out of Egypt, there's a dual call in the book of Exodus, and I won't turn there now for lack of time, but there's a dual call there, that, and the dual call is, uh, I brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be like them, and now I'm bringing you to the land of Cana, so I'm basically saying, basically I'm warning you, don't become like them. You know, it's interesting, he's saying, what I'm bringing you out of, don't be like that anymore, and most of us stop there as Christians. I'm not going to be like my old self, but then we come into a whole new world, Cana, uh, the land It's the land of milk and honey. And so he's saying, even in the land of milk and honey, where you have blessing and joy and prosperity and life, even there, be careful that you don't become like the world around you and let those good things in, you know, you know it's easy to not want to be like your slave masters in Egypt, uh, but it's harder when the culture around you makes your life so pleasant and so comfortable and so delightful. It's so much easier and that's why many people who have been under persecution, like in communist China and places, say it's harder to be a Christian in America because our influences, uh, the the things that would move you from kadosh, from would would move you from hagios, the the Greek word for holiness, are, are much more subtle. But they move you from twoism to oneism. That is, uh, we can accept everything. It's all pretty much the the same thing. Uh, and so let me try to wrap things up. The, uh, the, the, the holiness of God is, is something that we tend to see as uh, uh, more about us than him. It's, it's how we behave. It's how we, we act. But, but if we start, as I was reading from Exodus 3 there, if we start on holy ground, we see God. He see, Moses sees this and he turns his face. And then he comes out of that a different person. <clears throat> and oftentimes we're trying to uh, buy uh, sort of our own bootstraps, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, our own uh, willpower, trying to become a holy people. And that's not where holiness is birth. Holiness is birth in an encounter with a holy God and seeing him as, as holy. And oftentimes we... I tend to think, as I've been studying the attributes of God, we sort of have a preference of certain attitude, attributes. The goodness of God is covetous, coveted. Uh, the grace of God is highly sought after. The love of God is deeply welcomed into my emotional emotional being. Uh, the wisdom of God is extremely desired. I want to know God's will for my life. 
But the holiness of God oftentimes is ignored or abandoned or, or seen as a secondary issue, <clears throat> or it's diminished to be a moral behaviorism or right behavior, uh, right conduct, and not seeing it as an experience uh, of holy ground, of seeing God different. I believe that if you and I want to live a holy life, if we want to escape the world, escape sin, escape the bondage to Egypt or Cana, um, the, the, the experience for us is not to get a list of certain moral behaviors and say, let me try to act out this way, but it would be to say, who is God? What is God like? It is those who have come into the experience of God. Uh, Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the angels cried out, holy, holy, holy. And he said, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among an unclean people. Uh, he, he's seeing the, the, the one-ism, so to speak, of his culture, and he's saying, God, I, I have, now that I've seen you, I have to escape that. Uh, because you are uh, so holy, uh, I want to see holiness. Scripture bears this out. I'll read a couple of scriptures, then we'll close. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5. Each of you must know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. So, so the, the inability to live in holiness of the Gentiles was not a lack of willpower or a lack of writing a list of things they hoped to do from their life. It was not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. I believe First Thessalonians is suggesting that a holy lifestyle comes from knowing a holy God. The knowledge of God gives you the power of God uh, to walk in the holiness of God. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these things are improper for God's holy people. And so <clears throat> the, the, the idea of holiness and all these things that we talked about earlier, uh, a holy temple, a holy uh, Sabbath day, a, a, a holy utensil is the fact that God chose to make that one thing his own. <clears throat> this is my day. This is my house. And so we read in this passage I just read here that you are God's holy people. He's, you are holy because he's chosen you and he's made you distinct. From that knowledge of who God is and how he's called you, then comes a, a, a supernatural pull in your life to, to the moral behavior, to the right living, to the standards of living, to, to fleeing sexual immorality. The, the energy to overcome sexual sin or pride or greed is, is not in our own strength. It is in realizing that God's chosen us. Therefore, we are different already. We're already, this may sound strange to you, but you're already a holy people. You're not trying to become holy. You already are. You are a holy people of a royal priesthood, a holy generation. That's something he's already distinctively made you. And now we're coming into that. So the process of sanctification is, is sort of finding out who we really are. It's coming to the fullness of, of who we are. Many of us listening to my voice right now are struggling with some form or another of compromise of, of certain things in our life that don't belong, that seem to continue to, to be there. It's so important that we understand holiness because if not, you're going to enter into the wrong agenda to accomplish uh, good purposes. So you want to come out of that, that uh, unholy or ungodly behavior. And, and if you don't understand holiness, you'll use wrong resources to get you out of it. You'll use 
it's you're going to use oneism. You're going to use your own strength, your own resources, human power, human mind, human wisdom, human discernment, lesser things, rather than that which is separate, other than us, distinct, higher, worthy of reverence. And so I believe as you go into God's presence, that's where your cleansing comes from, the sanctification power. He who began a good work in you, won't he continue to do so? You began in the spirit, or are you going to go in the now into the flesh? In other words, you began in distinctiveness. There's some other source other than yourself that enables you to do this. And now you're going to start going in your own self again, oneism. Uh, no, it has to be twoism. Understand there's somebody higher, greater, bigger, more glorious, uh, and, and come into his ground, stand on his ground, take off your shoes, don't go your own agenda. And in doing so, you'll see this process of sanctification. And it is a process. It will be worked out. Uh, neither Isaiah nor Moses, having these holy experiences, lived a perfect life. They had to continue to walk with the Lord, continue to spend time in his presence, continue to, to cling to his word and this sense of the otherness. And finally, I would say then the worship of God. Most I don't think I've ever heard a sermon that talked about holiness and tied it in with, do you want to be holy? Then start worshiping. Uh, it's very rarely said, but I believe there's a, a direct link between holiness, sanctification, and worship. As we worship God, we realize his otherness, his bigness, his, his, his splendidness, his gloriousness, his, 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 his amazing otherness, how big, how wonderful, how, like the old hymn says, how, how wonderful, how marvelous uh, is my Savior's love for me. And knowing who he is, is, is probably the greatest tool we have, uh, a gift from God to become <clears throat> all that God wants us to be. So let me pray for you. If you are, uh, if you're hearing my voice today and you say, you know, Gary, I, I, you know, I think you're hitting uh, a spot in my life here today, a, a certain behavior, an action that I've tried to overcome, but I haven't been able to. And, 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 and I feel like it's in that area, in that realm of my life, I'm not walking on holy ground. <clears throat> well, realize you're a holy person and God has the holy power. Uh, if he can, if he can make everything distinct and you remember that everything that's distinct is made, was made distinct by him. Nothing is distinct that was not made distinct by him. And so therefore your holiness, your distinctiveness has to be sourced and powered by God. So father, I pray right now for anyone struggling in any area of their life uh, that first of all, that, they would uh, not not come to redoubling their efforts, not come to uh, finding skills, not thinking other voices of of wisdom and insight could be the the source. But they would come. We we would come right to you, God, and we would say uh, we need you. Uh, we need water. We need air. We're made dependent beings. That's how you you made us. That, that one of the distinctions about us as created beings is that we are needful. But our greatest need is, is uh, uh, David said it so well, the one thing I desire, one thing I ask, the, he's talking about the, the thing he really needs most is you. And so teach us to come into your presence. When we are tempted, you, the prayer you taught your disciples, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, deliver us from our compromise with the world, deliver us from uh, resourcing ourselves and our own strength, deliver us from um, trying in our own abilities to be a holy people uh, and and lead us, Lord, into to that place where we go. Uh, we're holy because we're on your ground. We're in your presence. We're 
we, we are a different people uh, because we are serving a different God. <clears throat> uh, you're, you're so unique. You're so other. You're so uh, full of majesty and splendor. We give thanks for that. We want to know the fullness of this God. We want to know you more. We want to to be uh, enveloped in your love and your grace and your holiness. Thank you, God. Any holiness we have is not our own. It's yours. And so train us in righteousness and, and, and let us be a, a people that are set apart. We want to be like our God, uh, distinct from the world, called, uh, set apart, uh, a peculiar. In other words, a rare, a rare people. And uh, teach us to do that, not in our own strength, but in the power and might of the Holy Spirit. We give thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.